Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Habits. In this series, we are focusing on habits that we can implement into our routine that bring focus and health into our spiritual, emotional, and physical lives. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Hey, look, we're glad you're here. If you're a guest uh, here today to celebrate the baptisms, we're glad you're here. We want to invite you back. We are beginning a new series today. It's called Habits, uh, Intentional Choices in a Busy Life. We wrote a book just for this. I'll tell you a little bit more about it uh, a little bit later. But here, let me just start with, with a story, a story I think that will inspire you all. She was the scientist's favorite participant. Lisa Allen, according to her file, was 34 years old, had started smoking and drinking when she was 16, and had struggled with obesity for most of her life. At one point in her mid-20s, collection agencies were hounding her to recover $10,000 in debt. An old resume listed her longest job as lasting less than one year. The woman in front of the researchers today, however, was lean and vibrant with the toned legs of a runner. She looked a decade younger than the photos in her chart and looked like she could out-exercise everybody in the room. According to her most recent report in her file, Lisa had no more outstanding debts. She didn't drink and she was in her 39th month at a graphic design firm. How long since your last cigarette, one of the physicians asked her. Starting down the list of questions that Lisa answered every time she came to the laboratory. Almost four years, she said, and I've lost 60 pounds and I've run a marathon since then. She also started a master's degree and bought a home. It had been a very eventful stretch for her. The scientists in the room included neurologists, psychologists, geneticists, and a sociologist. And for the past three years, they had poked and prodded Lisa and more than two dozen other former smokers, chronic overeaters, problem drinkers, obsessive shoppers, and people with other destructive habits. All of the participants had one thing in common. They had remade their lives in relatively short period of time. The researchers wanted to understand how. So they measured their subjects' vital signs. They installed video cameras inside their homes to watch their daily routines. They sequenced portions of their DNA and with technologies that allowed them to peer inside people's skulls in real time, they watched as blood and electronic impulses flowed through their brains while they were exposed to temptation. The researchers' goal was to figure out how habits work and what it took to make them change. I know you've told your story a dozen times, the doctor said to Lisa, but some of my colleagues have only heard it secondhand. Would you mind explaining again how you gave up cigarettes? Sure, she said. It started in Cairo. Uh, The vacation had been something of a rash decision, she explained. A few months earlier, her husband had come home from work and announced that he was leaving her and he was in love with another woman. It took Lisa a while to process the betrayal and absorb the fact that she was actually getting a divorce. It wasn't a great time for me, she said, uh, but I had always wanted to see the pyramids and my credit cards weren't maxed out yet, so I went. On her first morning in Cairo, Lisa woke at dawn. It was pitch black inside her hotel room. Half blind and jet lagged, she reached for another cigarette 
And she was so disoriented that she didn't realize it until she started smelling burning plastic that she was trying to light a pen instead of a cigarette. She had spent the four, last four months crying, binge eating, unable to sleep, feeling ashamed and helpless and depressed and angry all at once. And lying in this bed, she broke down. It was like a wave of sadness, she said, and I felt like everything I had ever had crumbled and I couldn't even light a cigarette right. She showered and she left her hotel and she rode through Cairo to the Sphinx and the pyramids of Giza and to the vast endless desert around them. Her self-pity for a brief moment gave way. She needed a goal in her life, she realized, something to work toward. So she decided, sitting right there in the taxi, that she would come back to Egypt and trek through the desert. It was a crazy idea, she knew. She was out of shape, overweight. She had no money in the bank. She didn't even know the name of the desert that she was looking at at that moment, but none of that mattered to her. She needed something to focus on. Lisa decided that she would give herself one year to prepare and to survive such an expedition, she was certain she would have to make some sacrifices. In particularly, she knew she would have to quit smoking. When Lisa finally made her way across the desert, just 11 months later, in an air-conditioned and motorized tour with half a dozen other people, mind you, the caravan carried so much water, food, tents, maps, GPS, and two-way radios that throwing in a carton of cigarettes wouldn't have made much difference. But in the taxi, back in Cairo, Lisa didn't know that. And to the scientists in the laboratory, the details of her trek weren't relevant because for reasons they were just beginning to understand, that one shift in Lisa's perception that day in Cairo, the conviction that she had to give up smoking to accomplish her goal, had touched off a series of changes that would ultimately radiate out through every part of her life. Over the next six months, she would replace smoking with jogging. And that, in turn, changed how she ate how she worked, how she slept, how she saved money, how she scheduled her days off, how she planned for the future, and so on and on. She would start running half marathons, then a marathon, go back to school, buy a house, and get engaged. Eventually, she was recruited into the scientist's study, and when researchers began examining images of Lisa's brain, they saw something remarkable. One set of neurological patterns, her old habits had been overwritten by a new pattern. They could see the neural activity of her old behaviors, but those impulses now were crowded out by new urges. As Lisa's habits changed, so had her brain. It wasn't the trip to Cairo that had caused the shift, or the divorce, or even the desert trek. It was that Lisa had focused on changing just one habit smoking. By focusing on one pattern, what is known as a keystone habit, Lisa had taught herself how to reprogram the other routines in her life as well. Now folks, that's the power of a habit. Now we're not going to talk about uh, lifestyle habits today. We're going to talk about spiritual habits beginning today and over the next weeks. We're going to look at distinctively Christian habits, or as some of us call them, spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are those practices 
found in the Bible that promotes spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Now relax, we're not going to ask you to adopt 10 new spiritual disciplines in your life. The goal is this, to help you understand those habits and to learn how you can use them if you so desire to grow closer to God and begin to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So, as I said, I hope you picked up a copy of this book. Uh, we'll be making them available after the baptisms uh, th this afternoon. So if you want to, you can pick them up then. These books were written for this series to help us go deeper in our relationship with Christ. And honestly, to help us go deeper in our relationship with each other. So I, I do want to encourage you to bring them on Sundays. There's a place for you to write down notes every Sunday. So uh, if you are taking notes, I think it's on page 10 today. So you can take notes on this message because today we're going to talk about the power of a habit, a spiritual habit, okay? Here's the power of a spiritual habit. It's in its ability to connect, in its ability to connect. You see, habits help us connect with God. They help us learn to love God. They help us to practice that devotion. So let me just give you some context. Uh, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. They're the Jewish law. And after God gave the Jewish law to Israel, uh, the first 10 commandments, they show up in the fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 6, this is what God spoke to Israel. God said, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, to be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, when God gave these Ten Commands and all the other commands in, in the Jewish law, they were given to become a guiding habit, a guiding discipline of how to be a faithful follower of the Lord our God. Now, did you notice how God frames them as words to live by? All right? Uh, in verse 5, we see this very commandment that Jesus called the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He learned that as a child. When he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, this is it. And then he said another one, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. This commandment, this encouragement was to become a habitual part of the daily life of Israelis, of the Hebrews. They were to uh, command, that command was given to them to live their lives by. They were supposed to, uh, it was supposed to be on their hearts. 
They were supposed to teach their children these commands. They were supposed to talk about it when they sit down at a meal, when they walk along the road to wherever they get, uh, go, when they uh, get up in the morning and when they lie down to go to sleep at night. And they were supposed to uh, write them uh, on the walls of their house, on, around the door frame or the gate frame. Why? So they would remember it. You know, it's not, it's not unlike taking a post-it note and writing something on it that you want to do. In fact, if you go find my car out in the parking lot, there's a post-it note on it right now to remind me to do something every day. I, I just felt like that was the only way I was going to see it. And that's why I, I put it there, because I get in that car every day. That was the idea. Why? Because this was supposed to be a habitual way to live in relationship with God. Now, let me give you a definition in those scriptures, it says so that you will learn to fear the Lord our God. You know, that doesn't translate too well for us in 21st century English. It, it really means to respect, to honor. So, so those commands were given to us to teach us to respect, to honor the Lord our God. And then we're supposed to write them uh, on the frames of our doors. We're supposed to teach them to our children. It's, it's supposed to become normal. It's supposed to become habitual. It's supposed to be our, our way of life as followers of the Lord our God. Now, you know, if, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, uh, I think this is true of the North American church. Um, oftentimes in our country, we look to spiritual habits and to disciplines like gathering for worship or studying the Bible to make us feel good. Yeah. To, to, to make us feel an emotion, um, you, you know, to, to stimulate us and excite us and, and to encourage us. And, and let me just say, there's nothing wrong with getting excited about God. There's, there's nothing wrong about being, uh, you know, stimulated by God's word. But if that's our, our motivation, if, if that's our governing idea about why we gather together with other Christ followers or why we study the Bible... You know, as human beings, we're going to be disappointed. Why? Because our emotions go up and down. I mean, think about any love relationship that you had. If you felt like you always had to be, you know, running at 10,000 RPMs in that relationship, you know, at some point, uh, you can't sustain that. We all know in love relationships, they go up and down in life, that, that uh, we have to take the good with the bad, that, that sometimes we really feel in love and sometimes... We know we're in love, and so we act in love even though we don't feel in love. And so when we look at Jesus, when we look at following God to give us some type of spiritual high, we're basically wanting God to be our, uh, our feel-good genie, uh, to, to, to serve us. And, you know, that's got the order reversed because we're supposed to serve him. Um, we cannot base our relationship with God. We cannot base participating in our walk, our relationship, and spiritual disciplines on how we feel. We have to base it on wanting to pursue that connection with God. Let me give you an example. The book of Job. If you've read the book of Job, you know something about him. He's described in Scripture as a man who was honest inside and out. A man of his word. He could be trusted. He was described as totally devoted to God and that he hated evil with a passion. When Satan tested Job by taking away all of his wealth, by taking away all of his children, and even taking away his health, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Job 
did not sin against God. The Bible tells us this, that actually he worshiped God saying this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's phenomenal. That's that's something to be emulated in our lives. You know, the truth of the matter is many of us would struggle with that. Job's very wife struggled with this because she went through some of those losses, obviously herself, and they were devastating. And when, when Job's health began to go, and not only did he feel awful, he looked awful, she just said, Job, honey, why don't you just curse God and die? But that's not the way Job looked at it. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. I am going to worship God all of my life in good seasons and in bad seasons. I'm going to trust God. And so we can understand that Job had a spiritual habit, a spiritual discipline of worshiping God in the good times and the bad times. He had a passion for God. He had a relationship with God. And that's what helped him from giving up and cursing God and dying. Habits help us connect with God. And that's what happened in Job's life. Habits not only help us connect with God, they they help us connect with others. All right? You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, when somebody joins our, our church, we ask them to make a commitment to follow God obediently and to live in community in the body of Christ because we recognize that as followers of Jesus, it's a vertical relationship with God, but it's also a horizontal relationship with other followers of Jesus. <clears throat> So let's talk about those relationships on the horizontal level. Sometimes uh, we don't do a good job of living in those relationships. And if we don't understand that those spiritual disciplines that are peppered throughout Scripture are to help us not only connect with God and connect with one another, we've missed something. And God tells us that in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 58, we read these words about the people of Israel who had started seeing their spiritual disciplines of gathering at the temple to worship and of following all the fast days as a way to get God to serve them. You know, they were complaining and said, well, God, look, I've done all this. Why don't you respond? And so finally God does respond. And this is what he says. He says, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want, God says. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. What's God saying here? He's saying, listen, Spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits need to help you grow closer to me. They need to help you understand my heart and my heart and my compassion, God tells us, is to love people. In one of the Psalms, it says this about God, that he's compassionate and that he's gracious, that he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's God. And so as we grow closer to God, then our hearts need to be like God's. 
slow to anger, compassionate and gracious, abounding in love for others and faithfulness to God. That's the heart of God. That's God's way. And that's the way that Jesus lived. And that's the way that he taught his followers. And he teaches us to live. Jesus' way, as I mentioned earlier, was to teach people to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. So listen, when we say we're following Jesus and getting closer to him by using spiritual habits, but we're not caring for and loving others, we're really not following Jesus. We're fooling ourselves. Jesus said that the greatest commands, as I mentioned, were loving God and loving others. These commands came straight out of the Jewish law. Jesus was taught that as a boy growing up. Jesus said to his followers that the way the world would know who you are, the way they would know you are my followers, was if you loved one another. That's the way of Jesus. And the power of spiritual habits is to take us deeper in our knowledge and our relationship with God, and that will overflow into our relationships with others in the world as we follow his teaching. So the reason that we're focusing on spiritual habits is because these habits will help us connect with God and with others. But these habits also have another power. The power of a habit is its ability to transform us. You see, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will use these habits in our lives to transform us to be the sons and the daughters that he wants us to be. We can read about this in the psalm. The first psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1, says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What's this saying? It's telling us, listen, if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to go closer to him, if we want to let these spiritual disciplines that he's given us in scripture transform our lives, then we'll... Focus on them. He talks about this one specific, about meditating on God's word, studying it day and night. And, and it changes how we relate with people. It, it changes uh, what we know about God and his way. It transforms us. It, it says that, that we need to recognize that as we follow God through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to make us into new people, as he promises in Scripture. Now, in there it says, if you follow these spiritual habits, you're going to be blessed, that you're going to prosper. Some people would like to say, well, that would make you prosper financially. But there's no indication in this scripture about prospering financially, according to what the world says. But it's clear it's about prospering relationally with God. It's about growing deeper in that relationship with him. So here's what you need to do, know about this. Habits will transform our character, all right? Habits will transform our character. Have you ever noticed how many people that we look up to in Scripture are described by their godly character? That character comes from habitually 
pursuing God. David, he was a king, he was a shepherd, he was a warrior, he was a sinner. How is he described in the book of Acts? He's described as a person after God's own heart. All right. Look, we know David wrote many psalms. I encourage you to, to flip through the psalms this week and look at the psalms that are entitled A Psalm of David. You know, in those psalms, you're going to see the very words that David wrote down as his prayers to God. You're going to get an insight into this follower of God's relationship, follower of God's relationship with God. You'll get an insight in his very personal and private prayers that he prayed to God and that he wrote down. And we can understand that this is just the tip of the iceberg. These are just the ones he wrote down. These were not the daily prayers that he prayed constantly every day. These were just some that he wrote down because they were significant and meaningful for him. He had that habit of constantly talking to God, praying to God. And thus, we saw that he was someone who was teachable. When he sinned and the prophet Nathan came to him, he was able to be corrected. When he recognized that he was doing something wrong, he would let God's Spirit change his heart. There are others. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's referred to as having found favor with God. She was chosen to be the mother of Jesus because of the kind of person she was. If she wasn't someone who was seeking after God's heart, she would not have been chosen. But God chose her. Obviously, she pursued God regularly in her life. Her husband, Joseph. Joseph was described as faithful to the law, so obviously he studied it. He made it his daily discipline. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, you know, he ended up in the lion's den because of his daily habits. His daily habit was to pray to God three times a day. And so uh, when the, uh, the assistants of the king of Babylon said, we want you to put a law in place that says for 30 days, people can only pray to you and not to anything or anyone else. And if they don't, they'll be punished. They did that because they knew about Daniel's spiritual discipline of praying to God every day. And so when they caught him praying to God, they arrested him and they had him thrown in the lion's den. But it was because of his faith and belief in God that he knew that even though he was thrown into a lion's den with, with animals that were hungry, that God would save him. How does this all happen? Because of his trust in God because of his daily connection with God. It transformed him. Habits transform our character. Habits also transform our relationships. You know, I, I hope it's obvious that if we let God transform our lives and our hearts, we'll become more like he wants us to be. We'll become more like what he desires us to be. And God loves people and he desires for us to love people and to love them the way that he and his son Jesus do. So as we get closer to God through these disciplines, you can expect there's going to be a transformation in your relationship. Scripture exhorts us with these words. It says, some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging others to continue meeting together. Why does God want us to commit to that habit? Because he knows 
that we were created to be in community. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We were created to be in relationship with other people. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that on the day of Pentecost, God gave us the church, the body of Christ, so that we would be in community in this life and we would walk with other people in faith. Kyle Bennett points out in his book, Practices of Love, that... Uh, in the ancient days when monks and nuns would join a cloister of other monks and nuns, that when they did, did so, they were not making a vow to the cloister. They were making a vow to God and to the other members of that community. And they did so not to escape the world, but to enact a different kind of community, a community based around following Jesus. Uh, they committed to living with, the, with others and living differently than the world says to live. They committed to disciplining their daily needs, not only for their own sake, but for the sake of others. They took living out the scripture and in community with one another very seriously. You know, we live in a very individualistic culture and sometimes we can take on the attitude of, of being a loner. But being a follower of Christ is about being committed to God and to his word and what it teaches us. And that means that we're supposed to be committed to a group of believers who want to live out their faith and connect with each other. These spiritual habits, as we begin to lean into them, will help us understand the power of following God and living in community. And it will transform our relationships. You know, the thing that we have to understand is that the body of Christ is not a group of perfect people. It's a group of sinners who recognize their sinners who are seeking to grow closer to God and live in a relationship with him. So I started off this message talking about a woman who had a very inspiring story about the power of change in her life when she changed one bad habit. It's awe-inspiring. Um, the reality is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to lean into spiritual habits to help us grow closer to God, to let Him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, transform our lives. Uh, I've researched this saying, and to be honest with you, I, I cannot find who said it. Um, I've actually found three people that it's been attributed to, and the saying goes this way, sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. It speaks to the truth about the power of habits. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be concerned about following Jesus in this life, but we also recognize that as his followers, he's promised a destiny to us. He's got a plan for our lives, and it's that we don't end this life on this earth forever, but that there's something greater, that there's eternity for us. It's our destiny. And so I want to challenge you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, to stick with us during these weeks as we study these habits, to lean into them so that you can grow closer to Christ, so that you can grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Again, we're not, in, we're not asking you to uh, adopt 12 new habits and disciplines in your life. We're asking you to lean into them and try them. In fact, I, I mentioned this. 
Uh, when you uh, pick up the book, you're going to get a, a, a package of sticky notes. And we're going to challenge you every week to a sticky note challenge. So just like that sticky note in my car, we're going to challenge you to, to write down something that you're going to do that uh, week or the, for the following weeks and then take it off and put it someplace where you see it. And this week's sticky note challenge is this, to, uh, to get that book and look at the 10 habits that we're going to be studying and uh, commit to trying two of those habits during these weeks that we have studying this. Again, you know, we're not doing this to get rid of bad habits. We're not doing this to uh, um, order your private life. We're doing this because we know that these habits will help us grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. They will change our lives and that will change the community that we're in and that will have a ripple effect through the world. So I want to challenge you to lean in and do this. Before we have a closing prayer, the worship team's going to lead us in a song, a powerful song talking about God's faithfulness to us. And so as this song starts out, just let the worship team sing it and think about how God's been faithful to you and then spend a little time talking to him and uh, being prayerful to him about your commitment. And then we'll invite you to stand up and join in singing that song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.